What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Fortress of Comictude podcast. My name is Tyler. Hi, Mary. We got another special episode for you guys today. We have Tyler here from A Wave Blue World that uh, not only is the president and co-publisher of A Wave Blue World, but also is a writer and has a cool book coming out, and he's going to tell you guys a bunch of stuff about it. So, Tyler, thanks for uh, joining the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. A Wave Blue World, we, we talked to uh, James and Gavin a couple weeks or yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. Um, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that episode did really well for us. And I know you guys did uh, a good push for it on social media and everything. So first off, I just want to thank you guys for that. Thank you. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a great episode. I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And man, that, that Dead Legends book was is really, really quite good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and your book's really, really good as well. I've read so it. Good. <laughs> I finally just read it like 10 minutes before oh, nice. we started here. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, b- before we get into all that, usually what we kind of do, I-, I mean, we used to do it more than we do now. But uh, w- what we used to like to do was when we have guests on, we would do what we call comic book secret origins, where we try to get kind of your... Uh, sort of like personal story of like how you got into comics either as a kid or a teenager or whatever and just kind of like some of the early stuff that you read that kind of influenced you like what's your your origin of comic books uh, uh, yeah i started reading comics uh, right off the uh spinner rack the first one that like stood out to me uh, and that was batman annual number eight. Oh, awesome um, trevor von eden did the artwork uh lynn varley colored it had this really like trippy cover with like the sun in the background. I don't know if you if you know it offhand, but it's pretty cool. Um, that was the first time that it really made me realize that comics were made by creators that were making artistic decisions and trying to do something, I don't know, just different or, or to speak to people. It wasn't just merchandising. You know, before that, it was like underoos and comics and For all those sure. things were just the same thing. And now I was like, wow, this is like an artist who's like expressing himself through this through this medium. I mean, maybe I, I, was, I was like six years old, so maybe I'm putting a little bit more into <laughs> it now than what I actually felt. But, but I remember that feeling of it dawning on me that this was done by, you know, a person, like a creator. And uh, so I looked at things um, very differently from then. Um, and then, yeah, I just continued reading more and more. I remember uh, G.I. Joe number 21, the silent issue, Larry Hama. That had a big influence on me because, again, it made me think of the craft. Like, oh, someone wrote a story and they didn't actually use words. <laughs> That's know, really trippy the first time you see a silent issue. It's like, what is yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. And it makes you think about it, too, because you're like, all right, they're normally a combination of words and pictures. And now here it is done without words at all. Yeah, um, I mean it's like it's like visual storytelling at its finest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. Um, and then I was reading more around that time. I got into X Men. I actually read the uh, what was it called Classic X Men? Like I like that series. It had Art Adams covers on it, which were great, and it told the original like Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum. Later, John Byrne won, so I read that oh, yeah. series. Um, I got into some indie things. There was some fun stuff, uh, Elf Quest, and then uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
of course. Coming out I love those turtles. Yeah. Yeah. So that was some fun stuff. So I had some good, you know, superhero stuff, comic book stuff. Uh, um, sorry, indie comic. Uh, what else was I reading? The Daredevil series. Um, I was actually like post um, Frank Miller, David Mazzucchelli. I went back to read that stuff afterwards. But when I read Daredevil, it was Anne Nascenti was writing it. John Romita Jr. Okay. Um, Al Williamson. That was a great run. Um, and then uh, what else was I? I mean, I just I just read I read superheroes mostly with some fun stuff like ElfQuest and um, Turtles. I mean, you got to read those there. superheroes. They're <laughs> They're the genre. It, well, when I was, I, I, what I was saying was, yeah, when I was a kid, I started off through this, probably through high school, um, until they weren't so good in the nineties. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah after the <laughs> That's Mar- a thing that, that, that happened. Little, I mean, the, the classic story where I was kind of like, you know, people tend to leave during that time. Um, it got too much about the art, and then it wasn't even so much the art; it was about the collectability, the bagged issues, the things. The like speculator that. market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, that worked out well. I left for reading, I stopped reading for a little bit during college and then I got back into it. It was definitely had more of an independent bent. Um, there were some things like, um, Alan Moore's top 10, um, which were a little more genre. Uh, um, and I, I picked up, uh, Terry Moore's strangers in paradise. Um, what else was there, but more independent creator own stuff. Um, image, you know, started being less what they were like when I left, which is not to say that that was so bad, um, but more of, you know, what they're doing now. with Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they were very stuff. much yeah. they were very much art focused in the beginning. It was definitely yeah. all about the art and the how many guns can we put on this person? Oh, yeah. And they even <laughs> admit that, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we know what they were what they were doing. And that's yeah. what the market was was demanding it and um it was a, such a revolutionary thing they they struck out and formed their own company um that you know that that was its own positive influence it just took a little while for uh it sort of to develop into what we know of it today which is this sort of haven for creator own material and doing uh you know they definitely have their their style they're very sort of, sort of genre driven still um which we we are a little bit too um but Definitely. yeah, I mean, they just done so much for creator-owned rights and, and works that, uh, yeah, I certainly don't look badly at it during that time, even though it was sort of when I left comics for a bit. Yeah. So for anybody out there that's not, you know, super familiar with A Wave Blue World, um, you know, what are you guys about? What do you guys do? You know, what's kind of your uh, mission, I guess, out here, putting some of these indie comics out here? The simplest way to put it is that we like to tell stories that say something about the world we all live in. Um, You know, I don't like to use the word political too much. I mean, we certainly roam into that field, but we want things that are either through allegory or through more direct methods are saying something about society, about the human experience, how we relate to each other. Mm. Um, It can definitely be in the form of different genres, action, adventure, or whatever it is. But there is some sort of message um, to be found in there about, you know, who we are as people and, and uh, you know, our, our world. I mean, 
the the word political at this point has almost become like a four letter word. But I mean, <laughs> like yeah. it, it's a word everyone's really hesitant to say now, which I, I I find really odd because it never used to be like a bad thing to call something political. But I mean, comics are political; they always have been. And one of the best things about comics is they do serve as kind of this social commentary on the world that we live in, or at least that's when comics work the best. That's what I always associate with it. I mean, it's got to start as a power fantasy against, you know, the um, the Holocaust and the Nazi, you know, invasion of of Europe and and fighting back about, about against that. And uh, I think they've always been on the forefront of societal change and, and cultural uh, revelations. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy to have that in thread through our comics. I, oh yeah. I think it's, you don't want anything to be too didactic, but I mean that stuff is what comics are, are made up of. And I, and I, I think all you know, real. I don't think that you're reading, reading or watching or whatever media it is. I mean, it's got to be saying something to you, you know. Oh, for sure. I mean, some sort of message. Yeah. I mean, anybody that creates anything has a message behind it, and I, I'm very much a person when I read a comic or listen to a song or watch a movie. You I'm like, I, yeah, I'm always like, what, what is it they're trying to say? You know? Yeah. Um, and that, that's the stuff that really makes it worth it for me. Um, uh-huh. and, and I think most people accept that and really enjoy that. There's just a, a very loud minority that, that tries to put yeah. stuff out there. That they, <laughs> what, these... what, what, they, what they mean is they don't like what your message is. So yeah, exactly. That they put exactly. it in this context of, oh, comics are, aren't supposed to have a message. They're just supposed to be fun. <laughs> they don't agree, so they're going to be very loud. Yeah. I just right. I just don't yeah. know what world they live in because I'm like, this stuff didn't start yesterday. I mean, it's I been there since the beginning. But, I mean, I, I really like that that's, you know, that you guys are kind of on front street with that. They're like, look, man, we're trying to do something here that not only is enjoyable and entertaining, but is also um, something that has something to say that that's always the best content to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. How um, did how did you guys kind of come about starting that? Because I know, um, I mean, I had to, I told, you know, James and Gavin, I kind of had to do some research on you guys from, before that interview because, I mean, I followed the comics world pretty heavily and I wasn't real familiar with you guys. Yeah. Um, so um, what's kind of, what's kind of well, the, the story of how a wave blue world kind of came to be? Yeah, I have a pretty slow start. I mean, it's funny because we've, I have on the lo- our logo that we were founded in 2005, which is accurate. I was still in art school at the time. Um, but uh, I found it as a, when I first started, it was more of a self-publishing company. I just gave myself a label and a word that I liked. It's probably not market tested, this whole away food world, silly pun type, type <laughs> thing. Um, because I actually think it rolls off the tongue name. really well, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I love the name. I'm not changing it. But I'm just, you know, I just when you look at it and and the difficulty people have in saying it or getting the words right, which is fine by me. I'm not one of those people that like if you get the name wrong, I'm like mad. I think it's kind of what's unique about it. Yeah, the <laughs> first sure. couple of times that I was thinking about it, I was like, it's it's one blue world, one blue world. Wait, no, um, a wave blue world. <laughs> I get it now, yeah. but <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, my uh, in art school. So actually, let me rewind just real quick, not to get too long on you. So uh, when I said I left comics in college, I had actually gotten my degree in education and was a 
public school teacher in the U.S. for four years. And then when I wasn't happy there, I actually set out and, and taught abroad. And I did a year teaching in Tanzania, Africa. And then I did a year in um, Costa Rica teaching there. Oh, wow. Um, what was, an experience. Good times. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting couple of years. But it's during <laughs> that time that I decided that I would go into comics. Um, but that those experiences influenced me quite a bit. And then so the first comic I wanted to do, and I was really like, because I was into the independent thing and I wanted to do my own thing, was the comic that became Adrenaline, which was the first book that we ever published. And that was... That was about a, a, an extreme sport race kind of spoof, but it the idea is that it looks into the different cultures of the countries that they visit during these races, whether it's the African safari or the uh, scuba diving in Mexico or things like that. So it was a way to kind of combine the fun and, and the um, cultural critique. But anyway, so yeah, that was I created the name to put out this comic, which was just an independent comic. It took me four years to do I was as I was learning the, the process of creating comics and the whole thing about the business, doing the conventions and stuff like that. So that was that. And then I just did the same thing with my next one, which was American Terrorist, which was a graphic novel. I tried the digital to print in that one. I didn't do individual issues. Mm -hmm. um, Adrenaline, I, I tried to do the individual issues, and then uh, the sales were so bad in Diamond that I stopped doing that um, and just finished it off and did the book. Um, yeah, and then so, I mean, I was really just doing like one series at a time. Um, and then I was also writing for Broken Frontier. I don't know if you heard of that news site. Um, I was I was doing that as as a gig too, and the editor of that asked, "Is like, yo, you've done these books that have turned out pretty nice. Do you want to do an anthology with me?" Uh, which kickstarted it and put that together, which ended up being like this huge project. I don't know if you remember when anthologies first came to Kickstarter. I feel like they were almost bigger when they started. Like you had to have these big three hundred page grand yeah. big name things. <laughs> and then we all just sort of collapsed under the weight of trying to do that. Um but yeah this so that was a huge we did an oversized hardcover, three hundred page full cover, full color book. Um big it was project. quite an experience. A lot of um learning you know, trial by fire type thing. But uh, we did it. We put it out. It turned out great. Had a bunch of big names in it. Uh, Craig Pock, Cone Bunn, and Marguerite Bennett. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, those are those are big, real yeah. big names. Huge names. Yeah. It was, so it was almost this weird, like, huge leap from me doing my own creator own work, you know, taking about three to four years per project to doing this enormous book um, with 50 something creators, many of them big names. And, you know, I put it together, you know, we published it and we put it together. And um, it was almost like, well, I got to start doing something more from there. You know, I started doing some art books. Toby Cypress, who was one of my teachers at the Kubert School, I did his art book. Um, and more and more people started coming to me and being like, well, I really like the, the quality that you do, um, that you put these books out and the care that you put into it. Um, I really want that for my book or and you know and then i did another anthology and we kick-started we did um i did loved and lost and then uh this nightmare kills fascists and all we ever wanted which just came out last year um and then deadbeats yeah so we just was doing more and more anthology so we just started growing and i got to this point just about not even a year ago really where i was like okay i gotta figure this out i either need i was doing so much stuff that i was like i either need to expand 
and like make this into like a real like publisher or I need to really just dial this back and be like, I can only do, you know, what and, I can do. And you decided to expand. Well, it seems it seems like a better <laughs> choice than to give. I mean, one seemed more like giving up and the other one seemed like going for it. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like we had the resources and, you know, with being able to kickstart things. And I was like, all right, let's, I got to at least go for it. It's, you know, like that life advice where you don't want to look back on life and think about what you didn't do. Take that chance. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was a bit scary, but it went for the leap. And, you know, I added some really cool people to the staff. I mean, Joe Illich, who's our editorial director, and Lisa Wu, who's head of sales and marketing. Um, Justin is my media director, has done some great trailers. And I got Nicola, and Brand, uh, Nicola Black on um, branding and design. So kind of a small, you know, crack team of people that are, you know, really good at what they do. And, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're expanding and getting into distribution and create our own work. And, uh, yeah, it's fun. Awesome. That trailer for um, this book that we're going to talk about, <laughs> that was a really good trailer. Very good production. Oh, I like yeah. the music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, that turned out great. Really happy with both the Dead Legends and the Mezzo trailer. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the music was a good choice and had some cool animation going on in there. So, yeah, it's fun. We'll see, you'll see more of those from us for sure. Woohoo. You can definitely feel the 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 passion I think behind what you guys are doing. I mean, just talking to you and like uh, Lisa's been really incredible, you know, in communicating with us and setting some stuff up with us as well. Um, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, a good group of people working together. I definitely feel like everybody is very passionate about what they're doing. They really feel like what you guys are doing is not only something that matters, but just something that you guys want to do. And yeah. that, that comes through a lot. So that's one of those things that sticks out to me that it's like, man, I just, I, I just, I love creativity and I love shining a light on creative people. And it's like, these guys are really doing something that they're digging, that they're just, they're putting their all into. And so like, I just, I gravitate towards stuff like that. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I mean, these, everybody I've got working with me just loves, not only love comics, but loves their specific role. Like they're like really in the job that they, they enjoy doing. That's good. Uh, and they're good at it. So, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I'm definitely not trying to accuse anybody of, you know, not being passionate about stuff they're doing. But there there are definitely times when you could feel like people are more so kind of phoning it in at times. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. I, you know, you guys definitely seem like you're just really gung-ho about a lot of this stuff, which is great. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we just want to make something that, like, just really, like, stands out and, and affects people. Like, you know. It's all we're really asking for. Nothing nothing too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Mary mentioned the Mezo trailer and you as well and stuff. So um, we can kind of move into that a little bit because um, that's that's a, a book that, you know, you were nice enough to, to let us read early, which is great. Um, at least the, the, the first part of it here. And um, yeah, it goes, it's terrible after that. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, it's terrible. <laughs> so it's it like, yeah, I, I hooked him with that first issue. So now I'm just really going um, to. Now, now you're going to phone it in. I, I, yeah, I really I'm, dug yeah. it, man. Um, oh. And I know Mary did as well. Mary actually read it before I did. Yeah. But uh, she was like, she's like, yeah, you really got to read this. And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm going to read it because I knew we were going to talk to you. Yeah. But I mean, she was really like, you need to read this like sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I dig a, a lot of it. I like a lot of the stuff that you guys set up in this first issue. I think it's a gorgeous book. Um, 
I think Josh did a really awesome job. Oh yeah. Uh, and the, the artwork and stuff and just, it's, it's really like, it's really vibrant looking too. And the coloring and all that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Doug on colors. They were a good, good team. Uh, yeah. It just really came together. Well, I just always had a good feeling about this book. I mean, it's been a passion project for a while for me and just every step of it just comes together nicely. Just really, yeah. The artwork, I just felt it was some of Josh's best work and then the color so Doug just matched him really well. I love, uh, Thomas Maurer's lettering on it. You can see the like the word balloon has a little like it's not like a perfect bubble on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just got a little style to it, I guess. Definitely. Um, yeah, really I, happy with it how it came out. I'm usually afraid of 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 spoiling things, so usually I'll I'll turn it to the the creators at this point. So, uh, Mazo, for anyone that doesn't know, um, is is an awesome comic that that Tyler here wrote and. Um, do you want to kind of give the, the people a kind of a, a rundown or a synopsis about, about what it's about? Yeah. So it's mezzo based off of like Mesoamerican. Um, what I say is it's a Mesoamerican inspired fantasy epic. You know, I wanted to tell like a fantasy tale, but do something that was a little different. So rather than the sword and sorcery in the um, Anglo-Saxon historical world we i was doing aztecs and mayans and and researching their culture and their beliefs such a cool Um, idea (laughs) so cool and not something that you see played with very much i I love learning about like the mayan and aztecs so when i was reading this i was like oh yeah cool i did a lot of research on on those cultures i didn't want to weigh down the story too much with with too much research and it is a fictional world but everything in terms of just the characters and the tribes and stuff has a little bit of that, you know, in. And the story itself revolves around the impending um, eclipse, the solar eclipse, which fits with their, their calendar and their cycles had a lot to do with the astrological movements. So that was part of it. Um, yeah, the story is about one tribe in particular building itself into an empire rather than just being these decentralized tribes that all sort of um, orbit around each other. This one built itself to a great power. And, and then they decide their, their deity, you know, their God wants them to rule the world. So it's kind of a universal theme in understanding that. And like the Aztec Empire was very much like they believe they deserve to rule over you know, everyone else and sort of set out over those tribes. And so then, you know, what is the answer to that? Like, how do you stop this, this power? Um, and then, you know, that comes down to Akima, who's introduced in the book, you know, after seeing her father die and she realizes that she's the one that has to unite these tribes. And how do you bring these sort of these mostly peaceful people? Like, how do they, you know, put up a, a, a defense and, and save themselves from this sort of all-consuming empire that's that's come to take over their land. One of the things I really dug about it right from the beginning was just like there's a there's a pretty like heavy like family influence mm-hmm. uh, of a good family vibe in there, and you also yeah. get a good you get a good mix of setting up the world, setting up these characters, but there's also a good bit of action that happens in the issue. Yeah. Um, which is really good. And again, you know, just gorgeous to look at. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the character designs are really, really well done as well. 
But uh, yeah. I, I guess where does where did the idea for this come from? You said it's something you were working on, kind of a passion project. How well, how long and where did you know the inspiration come from? The the sort of the gem of this story um, what goes all the way back for geez I don't even remember I mean I think even in Africa when I was there and that was 2002 wow. um, I, there's a scene in issue two on the river and it takes place in sort of more of like the Amazon river mm-hmm. but uh, I was a, on a river there and that scene sort of came to me um but i didn't have it set in the in the amazon or the the mayan american world yet that wasn't until much later after i was finished with the cubert school and i met with josh who graduated a few years after me and i was like man i really liked his artwork and i thought he was ready to go right after art school and i was like hey if you got anything that you want to do or you want to like team up on a creator own project and he's like well i really i just got back from um a trip to Peru and I would really like to do a story set in that sort of world and in the Amazon forest. And I was like, my, uh, um, I, I, you know, eyebrows perked up a little bit and I was like, well, you, if you want to draw something like that, I can write something like that for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and, and so that I felt like that was sort of the key that unlocked this, this fantasy series that I had been developing in my mind. Cause I didn't want to just do anything that looked too much like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or, or anything like that. I needed something different. So like you said earlier, like this Mayan, you know, history and culture was just really like a great setting to do something that was different. And so I got myself all the books and, and researched um, everything from their astrological beliefs to their culture um, and just in this world and started developing characters. And Josh started drawing stuff too. You'll see in the premiere issue that comes out in October. He did some drawings even before I had like a plot or anything to him. He's just like free drawing, and I kind of like threw some of that like, oh, that character, okay, I can I can make a character out of that. Um, added, and he drew this, this this blind guy that I was like, wait, why? Or no, he didn't. I'm sorry, he didn't say he specifically was blind. He drew this guy with a helmet that didn't have any. He couldn't see out of it. It was like just around oh, his gotcha. face. I'm like, I'm like, how does he see out of that? I was like. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it looks like, really cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's make him blind then. And then, he, you know, and then we'll, it'll be like a mystery. Like, well, how does he, you know, catch an arrow and everything like that? And oh, you know, okay. just a lot of that back and forth. I mean, you only get you only know so much about that from the first issue. But that guy, you know, Fagor, the the evil character. Um, well, you know, part evil. I mean, everything's complicated. But yeah, so he actually can't see. So he has these, you know, extra senses that allow him you know to, to you know fight in the battlefield and know when someone's shooting the arrow from behind them and everything such um, a we'll kick-ass design man yeah. i i yeah there's there's a couple pages of him that i'm just like god dude that's like an action figure just like waiting to happen and and he designed him like outside of any story like i didn't even have a story for him like yeah i was just like but i'll come up with one yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of that just back and forth where i was coming up with some story before designs and he was coming up with the designs before the story and we just kept smashing them together until we had something. I really, I really like the fact that you took the time to do the research and everything on, you know, some of the, the 
Amazon, you know, the Mayan cultures and, and things like that, because there are people out there that probably wouldn't have done that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like that you took the steps to make sure that you weren't misinformed, even if, like you say, you are playing in a more, you know, a, a fictional world, just to have that kind of based somewhat in reality, I think is, is really great. Yeah, no, it's important to me. And it was, it was fascinating too. I mean, the more I went from trying to read more things of just, uh, how would you put it? They're more like, like book, um, you know, where they, it's like historical, but they try to like make it sort of like a narrative. I was like, yeah. oh, this is interesting to just flat out getting like some encyclopedias and just like reading the sections. And I'm like, this is now the, like, I almost found that like more entertaining to read because it was just like more straight information. It's like, Oh, I can use this. Ooh, mm-hmm. I like this, you know? So yeah, I got, I got a bookshelf full of, <laughs> of all my Mayan and Aztec uh, books. <laughs> Got and, stocked up. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier yep. that the, the premiere edition's coming out. The book's coming out on October 2nd, according to your yeah. guys' website. And the, and the trade's coming out in November. Or in no, December. December, December, sorry. December 18th. December yeah, so 18th. our premiere program, we're trying something a little different. Um, there's been versions of it, but we're doing a sort of a premiere edition, which has the first um, issue story and lots of, um, character sketches and behind, you know, behind the scenes of the creation of the series, just to give people a real taste of it. Um, then we're running the subsequent issues digitally every other week. So like a much quicker pace for those people who do want to read the episodes, they don't have to wait as long, just boom, boom, boom. And that leads us to two months later, the, the complete trade, the complete story arc where people can get right away, just sort of really condensing the process. Gotcha. People mm-hmm. more immersive experience if they if they're so inclined to get into it. And for anyone that checked out our, our uh, interview with James and Gavin when we talked about Dead Legends, they, we talked about that a little bit, and that that's a really interesting uh, a format to go in. That uh, I I think not a lot of people are are uh you know super familiar with but i kind of like that though because it's like i i do think digital is something that i think more publishers should be taking advantage of and i kind of like that you guys are going that route there's a strength to a floppy there's a strength to digital there's a strength to trade and i don't see them as necessarily being so separate i mean you have people who have their preferences but i think they all sort of fit together nicely like i'm just looking at what you know what i tend to to get and I often grab like a number one issue um, and then either forget about it or get the trade, you know, read it that way. Um, and when I do forget, it's often because it's been so long since it came out. Um, yeah. And then digital is always nice for like a quick, like, oh, I want to read that. You just don't have to go look for anything else. It's call stores and see if they have issue three or five or whatever one you're looking for. You can just grab them and just read them quickly. So, yeah, I, I just thought like revolutionary per se but i just thought like hey i think we can tweak this model a little bit to just use each method a little bit better i think i think uh digital's changed a lot of things man i think comiXology is something that uh i'm you know very thankful for and i and i kind of fought it for a good little while but at the end of the day it was kind of like man just being able to carry all these books in my pocket and anytime i have 10, 20 minutes if I'm waiting at a doctor's office or sitting somewhere, it's like, oh, man, I can be reading comics and stuff like that. I think that's something that, uh, again, I think just more people should be taking advantage of kind of leaning into that market a little bit more, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Or even like the convenience of um, putting things out weekly. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to have your story 
uh, set up so far ahead that you can do that. But I think a lot right. of people really like the weekly that way so they don't forget they're not waiting a month in between or with like doomsday clock we're waiting like three months in between yeah <laughs> yeah doomsday clock is its own thing because like webtoons i read a lot of webtoons and they come out every week yeah no that's great I, and i think that's one of the things that um dooms independent comics more than people like talk about is this long gap it's not even i mean even even monthly is kind of a long time to wait between a 22 page or 24 page issue but then when you have them you know there's delays or they're bi-monthly or you're just waiting a while between issues and i just really make it harder on your reader to, yeah. to keep up and support you i mean not to mention that we just like we as a society i, I think don't have patience anymore like we're in such a we're well, like we're in such a binge culture now like yeah. people aren't even willing to wait a week in between television shows anymore it's like it needs to be all available right now mm-hmm. all at once so i right. think that the shorter that you can cut wait times in is obviously going to help you just with the current state of how people like to take in content now but obviously when you're having the like you mentioned these things are made by real people people have to draw those pages it's not it does take time exactly it's not something that you could have right on demand unless you have these in the can months in advance but, but you might as well i mean you have to anyway you mean mm-hmm. the best you know best artists with the best work ethics need time to do this stuff so you so whatever that time is, you have to have it. You have to put things in the can or you're just, it's going to be delayed so long. So why not get, just get it all done and take the, the stress off of you and the pressure, you know? I mean, why have, why have your artist under deadline to get something done and the end of your series is, is like rushed or something, yeah, or have it go months between, you know, lose momentum with your reader. So or they you need know, it I, out so fast and they can't keep the artists around, so then they switch artists. <laughs> right, yeah, or that too, right? You know, so I mean, it just makes so much more sense to me. It it, it takes the commitment, sure, but uh, I, I think if if what you're going for is is for a great product and for readers to engage in it, then then I think it's necessary. There's a good group of people out there that believe that you know Western comics should kind of go. The, uh, the the route of the the manga you know and and kind of come out just in trades or graphic novels more so than serialized issues and stuff like that um that that's something that i think will never happen just because you kill the speculator market that way and the publishers kind of depend on those speculators that buy up copies and variant covers and things like that but that there are uh, people out there that think, you know, we might be heading in that direction where it's just, you know, just give it all to us at one time. Even if like there's, you know, I would rather have a trade come out every four to five months than an issue out once a month. Yeah, I mean, I think we are heading in that direction. I just think the mistake is is the absolute feel as if that's that's it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's why our premier program is it's geared towards the book. You know, we're like we said, we're getting the material done. We're going to have that book ready, mm-hmm. but why not have a little bit of fun with it first and and put out that number one issue and a couple of variants, and we're going to have a New York Comic Con variant and a retailer variant, um, just for the people that you know it's not forced on anyone's throat I mean, if they want it. And then, like you said, with digital, like why not put those out in a little serialized way too? So, I mean, I think you're right. I think the book market is really helpful. Um, people reading things more and more in trades and as, as a collected story arc. Uh, I just don't think it needs to be absolute. I mean, we can 
find the we can have the a mix. All of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you guys have found a really good balance there yeah. by, like you said, doing the number one issue because that's the one that's going to sell the best out of the series, anyways. Putting that one in print, putting it in comic book stores, and then giving people the trade. You know, not you know six months later, but like two months later. So here's everything if you want it. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that model and it's something that I, I'd like to see done more. So I'm going to kind of keep an eye on that and see how it goes. Yeah. Well, so are we, <laughs> um, yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing how it's received in October, um, and December when the books come out. Um, I don't think there's going to be any negative to it. I mean, they got some people who are like, I don't know if I'm going to first issue, if you're not going to do the rest of them. I'm like, yeah, it's great. Don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone else is going to buy it, you know, yeah. and, you could be the one not without it. And and if that's if you didn't want it, that's fine. You didn't have to buy it. You could just like we said, you know when the trade's coming out. So Yeah, definitely. You, know, you can do it that way. But I think I think when those number ones come out, people are gonna have a hard time like not wanting them and nobody's gonna be bothered. They're gonna sit there with their number one and then the, if they want the book they'll have that and they'll have two really cool items with their own special covers and exclusive content and I, I just think it's really efficient for what people enjoy and how it comes out so but we'll see and we've got more plans we're already lining up our 2020 releases which i think we'll use the same method so you know we're coming your way i'm, I'm really excited to to, to see that i i kind of wanted to ask you about uh you know a little more about what we were talking about earlier we don't have to get you know into super details or anything but we were talking about you know you guys kind of wanting to do storytelling that also is kind of, you know, backed by different ideas or real world kind of issues and, and things like mm-hmm. that. And and just in, in the first issue of, of Mezo here, you have, you know, obviously themes of war, themes of kind of uh, like, like a takeover kind of a situation, invading other places and taking over things like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. um, is, is that something that you specifically really wanted to put in the book that something that you were kind of trying to talk about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, it's an allegory, you know, using this time period to discuss um, war, religion, um, family, society, pressure, um, all of that's in there. Uh, and b- beyond religion, I will, rather than just say religion, because that's a bit broad, um, how definitely. would you put it? Using religious um, dogma to sort of, to... Um, kind of like be re- used for political power, yeah. yeah like, right? yeah, mm-hmm. kind of ra- control, radical yeah. religion. You know, definitely going into a uh, yeah, forcing your way into almost using fear as a tactic and things like that. Yeah, and and how it's tied in with like military strength, right? Give give some people a reason to fear, and they'll pick up arms and fight for your cause. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. yeah. So that's very much in there. Again, I mean, I tried to like really you know make it about story first but yeah that's that's part of it right there sure and you know and one of the things that was interesting about doing mezzo is that there are some clear evil characters some clear good characters but there's a lot of characters caught in the middle too like the the people who are part of that empire you know they they just grew up you know wanting a better world for their family i mean my first page is one of the soldiers you know, plays a prominent role, but I mean, he's a soldier in this army, and he's just wants a safe world for his kids. Like he views it as protection. Yeah, what he thinks protect- he's doing is right. 
yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, there's some complicated issues in there. We mix it all in with a lot of action and interesting visuals. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of a package deal. Yeah. And, that, and you know, that's great. I, like I said, I think that's, that's always good when you can kind of, you know, like I say, provide some kind of a, of a commentary on, on different issues and things like that. And again, that, that's, just, that's such a, a hot button in comics right now these last couple of years. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's been going on forever. I think for most people, the the go-to answer for like what's the best comic of all time a lot of people are like oh i don't know watchmen you know what i mean like watchmen mm-hmm. is very much like a political commentary on uh you know not only fascism but a lot of different kind of ideas that alan moore was playing around with back in the day so i mean and that's you know that's the book that's like kind of recognized as like this is th- this is the comic that made non-comic people respect comics you know right yeah and again, for me, it, it's just stuff that I like. I think about it, and it's intriguing. It's not me trying to create a message or so make much. some kind of a statement or anything. Yeah, I just wanted to tell a good story. Right? I mean, this is these are like yeah, these are things that I'm processing in my mind, and uh, it just it sort of just comes out in, in story form. Cool, man. Well, like we said, the book is out October 2nd. I really hope all of you guys kind of go and pick it up. Um, before we let you get out of here and stuff, do you guys do you have any uh, kind of appearances or, or cons and stuff coming up that you want to let people know about? Oh, oh man, yeah. I mean, my October is going to be crazy. Uh, <laughs> you going to be in New York? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, um, it's going to start off, well, actually, October 2nd. So I'm going to have a, a signing at um, um, in New York City. Um, at a comic shop called Mysterious Time Machine on the second, and then New York Comic Con is the next day, and I'll be there at our booth, the Wave of the World booth, all four days for that. And then on the Wednesday after that, I'll be at JHU Comics in the city with with Gavin and James, who you spoke with, to sign both Dead Legends and Mezzo because that's when Dead Legends comes out. So um, great dudes, yeah. And then. Um, we have the Deadbeats anthology, which we didn't talk about at all, but that's a music themed horror anthology also coming out. Coming out on the sixteenth. So we've got a release signing for that. And then we're heading down to Baltimore Comic Con where I'll have all three of them um down there uh for at our table there. And uh yeah, that's pretty much my month of October. I'm just gonna be running around with hitting some new comics you out. <laughs> Man, you're gonna I'm be busy. For it. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be busy. It's going to be a busy month. I'm trying to rest up. My month of September is going to be about rest <laughs> and work here because uh, it's going to be a crazy tour in October. Always got to get that rest, especially with the winter coming. For oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everybody so. check out A Wave Blue World, all the stuff they're doing over there. Go check out. See if any of it's stuff you want to check out. I, I've really liked uh, the two books we've gotten to read. I look forward to looking into more of the stuff you guys are doing. And I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to kind of uh, link up and communicate and stuff. And, you know, I, now I get to kind of explore the rest of the stuff that you guys have done yeah. as well. Um, so yeah. obviously check out a wave blue world on social media. Tyler, do you have a social media that people can kind of follow you on and, and kind of keep track of what you're up to? Yeah. I was going to say the uh, website is actually just awbw.com. We may have a long name, but our URL is, is nice and short, so that's easy to tell people. And then, yeah, I mean, A Wave of the World is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Tyler Chintaner is also easy enough to find on Twitter, uh, my own Instagram and, and Facebook as well. Cool. 
Tyler, I want to thank you so much, man, for taking the time to just chat with us for a bit and kind of go over kind of the the Wave Blue World history and, and Mezzo and, and all kinds of other stuff we got to go into. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, everybody, make sure you guys go check that out. And I would love that, you know, if you guys uh, do go pick it up when the book comes out, if you could, you know, tweet at these guys or let them know that you that you heard about it from here. That's always great. Um, until next time, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary. And we'll be seeing you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>